Praise the Lord, everybody. That was four of you. Try again. Praise the Lord, everybody. And I just want to make sure that, you, that you're here this evening, uh, here in mind and not just here in body. But it, it's wonderful to see all of you tonight. We're glad that you could join us here on campus at Grace Church of Central. And uh, it's also wonderful that those of you that are tuning in via live stream and Facebook Live could honor us with spending some time with us tonight as well. I'm glad to be a part of this church family. Amen. Just want to give you a few announcements, and I've got a few comments this evening before Pastor comes. Uh, didn't we have an incredible time this past Sunday? Uh, Brother Albritton's ministry was just excellent. It was so authentic. It was so relevant. And uh, just really, I uh, feel like it blessed a lot of people. So we're very happy to tell you that he will be back with us this coming Sunday. And just looking forward to another great move of God and his ministry in our 11 o'clock service this coming Sunday. And then uh, the following Sunday on the 13th of March, our district superintendent, Brother Darrell Weber, will be with us uh, in service. And uh, we definitely want to um, encourage you to be here and bring everyone that you can. But it'll be a great time for us to be able to spend uh, service with our new district superintendent. And as always, you can stay tuned with what's going on here at Grace Church via the church app or clicking on that events tab on the web page. Amen. I mentioned earlier how grateful I am to be a part of this church family. Um, being a part of a church family is critical to healthy Christian living. Um, the better connected you are to a church family, the more you will be able to experience everything that the church has to offer. Well, what does a church have to offer? It has a lot to offer. I just want to mention two this evening uh, in the interest of time. Um, the first thing that the church has to offer you is that you learn your true identity. You learn your true identity. You know, people often look for their identity in superficial things. It might be their career or how much money they have in the bank, or their favorite sports team. Uh, they look for their identity in a variety of things. They may even try to find their identity in the brands of clothing that they wear or the car that they drive. But when you belong to Jesus, he gives you a whole new identity. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And when you belong to Jesus, God adopts you into his family, the church. And unlike our physical families in this world today, when people die or people grow apart or move away or divorce, your spiritual family is permanent and eternal I want that to sink in for just a moment. It's going to last forever in heaven. I was reading Romans 8 this morning. I was doing my homework. Brother Ben Tier is not here, but he charged us in the adult Sunday school class to do our homework and read through Romans. I've been doing my homework and reading through Romans. Today I read Romans chapter 8, and it talks about how we are no longer orphans, but we have been adopted into God's family and can call him Abba, Father. The second thing that the church has to offer is that you are supported by others. This is so important today. Um, just like the strong structure of a building, we edify, we hold each other, we build each other up. Without the stable support system of a church, life happens to everybody. Life happens to everybody. And there will come a time in your life where you will find yourself in a position where you could be crumbled. But if you have a church family, you have support, someone there to help you. You know, you weren't meant to do it all on your own. You were not. You were not. None of us were. You need physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental support. And you can find that in the church. Ephesians 2.21 says that in Christ, the whole building is joined together. He's not talking about a, a physical building. The whole building. He's talking about the church whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. You know, when Ethan and Owen were younger, we had a lot of Legos. 
Can I get a witness in the house? We had a lot of Legos. And for about the first week, we tried to build what was actually on the box. And sometimes we were successful, but it never lasted longer than a week. After a week, it was just reduced to pieces. And you know what I've discovered? I'm going to tell you, I've discovered two things. The first thing I've discovered about Legos is you have not experienced pain until you have stepped on a Lego on the bottom of your bare foot at 2 o'clock in the morning. There is no pain like that. That's the first thing you need to know about Legos. The second thing you need to know about Legos is that each Lego brick has no purpose on its own. Unless it is connected to others. Disconnected, it's just a piece of plastic. But whenever you connect them together, you can build just about anything that you can imagine. Romans 1 and 12 says, Paul writing to the Romans, he said, When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. That's why we belong to the church. That's why we belong in church, so that God's people can say together, your faith is going to help me, and my faith is going to help you. There are benefits to being a part of a church family. Amen? God bless you this evening's pastor time. Great to see all of you here tonight. Thank you so very much for coming. And uh, along with Jason tonight, Sunday was absolutely spectacular to me. And um, I had some desires, vision, uh, if you will, fulfilled this past Sunday, things that I'll never forget. So I ask you to come back this coming Sunday, just expecting, just expecting. No telling what God will do here this coming Sunday. And uh, Grace, let's keep, let's keep pushing for revival, for a move of God, to see some great things happen uh, like we've not seen. I still believe God is in the business of moving and blessing, pouring out His Spirit in abundance, and everyone said amen. Um, I want to give you a, a fresh update on the uh, situation in, in, in Ukraine as it uh, pertains to our missionaries there and uh, uh, specifically our United Pentecostal Church missionaries. Uh, Sister Terry Spears, who has ministered here several times, has been to China numerous times. Y'all remember who I'm talking about. She texted Sister Murphy today at 4.30 and said, we just got, um, just got off the call with the three pastors of Ukraine. They have asked us to convey their love and appreciation to the church for the prayers and support financially. Answers to questions. The family of 15 is still safe and thankful for the prayers. Even in the cold basement, they're trusting in the Lord. Uh, Rita is safe. I'm not sure who that is. But no harm has come to her building area. Apparently a church pastor. All of the people from the church are safe. And they have sustained no injuries. They have been playing the videos and voice recordings of the prayers. Uh, people were asked to literally record praying, record themselves praying and send it to the missionaries there. That's what they're referring to. They have been playing the videos and voice recordings of the prayers in the shelters, the subway stations, the hospitals, and wherever they are. They said the prayers are like food for them and they can't get enough. One lady works at the hospital and plays the prayers aloud for patients. She was off yesterday and they asked her to come back in. When she is not there playing the prayers, the people become angry and upset and tension is there. When she plays the prayers, it brings peace. The church has said that we are not afraid. We are rejoicing as we are living, as we are living in the victory of Jesus. They have seen Russian men coming out of tanks, crying and saying, please forgive us, we can't do this, and they leave their tanks in the middle of the road. They've seen rockets disappear in the air without reaching homes. The enemy tanks are running out of fuel. The Russian troops get lost and stop and ask the Ukrainians for directions. 
um, the missionary from Romania, who is Daniel and Christine Patterson, they have been here, uh, ministered here at our church, a young couple that, fantastic people. Uh, the, so the missionary from Romania, which is the Pattersons, is taking in first supplies tomorrow to the border. Pray for safe passage for open customs officials in favor with the Romanian government and the Ukrainian government. They need immediate financial help. Number one, purchasing a van in Ukraine to deliver food to the people. They estimate they'd need twenty dollars to $25,000 to purchase a van if they can find one. Uh, number two, they need helmets and vests. Uh, Sister Terry notes, not sure what we can legally, uh, how we can legally do this. We have contacts checking. Number three, they need food, baby supplies, medicines, flashlights, thermal blankets, etc. There's a whole list of items, uh, and this uh, need will be ongoing, uh, especially financially. So Sister Murph today has set up a tab on our church website that you can go and give to that if you choose to. And um, we would like to send something at least weekly for a while as funds come in uh, to this. So you can go to our website. And all of this money is going through Compassion Services, a part of the United Pentecostal Church International. And 100% of what's giving, given will go to this effort. Uh, there's no administrative fees that are held back, etc. So folks, if you feel tonight to contribute to that, go to our website. Uh, you'll see the tab for uh, Ukraine and what have you. And uh, let the Lord bless you. Let the Lord uh, minister to them through you. And uh, he will. And I know Grace Church will respond beautifully to that. And everybody said amen. amen. As I mentioned at prayer last night, I have a presentation to make. I had something happen to me Sunday that's never happened to me before as pastor. Um, <clears throat> we scheduled this past Sunday with Brother Greg Albritton at the last minute. Uh, it was actually Saturday afternoon when we scheduled for him to come. Well, at that time, I was already prepared to minister here Sunday. Uh, I'd already sent my, my notes to the media team to have the slides done and all of that. And I, I just prayed under my breath that God uh, it, uh, somehow use Brother Greg to preach here Sunday in the same spirit of what you would have had me preach. And he did. I, was, I sat here. I had tears streaming down my face. Uh, I've never experienced that like that before. It was not the same sermon, not saying that. But the spirit of it was the same. And uh, I was really amazed that God did that. Uh, it was just, it was huge uh, for me personally. And um, had I preached Sunday, and being that Brother Greg did and preached in the same spirit of it anyway, uh, I wanted to teach this material tonight, may preach it a little bit, and then we'll see what happens this coming Sunday. I want everybody to understand, uh, I, 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 Brother Greg's message impacted me so hard I never want God to build my prayer room. I'll build it myself. When God builds your prayer room, it's not, it could be very challenging. Ask Jonah. His was inside the belly of a fish. I'll build my own. Just God, give me a moment, give me a, some time here. I'll build my prayer room. Just tell me, just tell me and I'll do it. So this tonight is along similar lines, if you will, and I would ask for your ear tonight uh, to the Word of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, very familiar reading. The Bible said, Paul said, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about the law of recompense. The law of recompense. I remember when we were building the Alexander Center next door that it was my desire, perhaps a foolish desire, that if there was any glaring deficit in the fire codes, that the fire marshal would kindly inform us as to what needed to be done in order that we could conform to the law. And there were several things that we had not done that 
would put us in conformity with the uh, fire codes of the state of Louisiana. And each of these infractions were very minor except for one. Uh, of the things that I can recall that he would require of us, there was one that frustrated me the most. Uh, we had to go back in after the building was completely finished. We were doing our final inspection, and we were supposed to build a smoke wall. Never even heard of that. Between the kitchen and the fellowship area, from the top of the ceiling all the way up to the roof, there had to be a smoke wall built. Uh, not a lot of room up there, hot, all of that, you get the picture. But it had to be done. I'm saying that to say <clears throat> that I read an experience from another pastor uh, that he had had a very frustrating experience with a fire marshal. And so he asked the state fire marshal, have you ever been cussed out on the job? <clears throat> now, if any of you have ever dealt with a fire marshal, and I hope there's not one here tonight, um, they can absolutely try your relationship with God. Trust me, they can. It was said in jest, but the fire marshal actually laughed and said, I sure have. And he related to this pastor a very interesting story. He said that he had did an inspection for one of our state legislatures whose project failed the inspection miserably. And upon telling the state lawmakers some of the things that he would have to do to conform to the law, the lawmaker became infuriated and cussed him out, he said. The fire marshal finally told the man, Sir, you were one of the ones who voted these laws into existence. To which the man said, Yes, I know, but I did not think it would affect me when I did it. So tonight I want to talk to you about the law of recompense. The law of retribution, or quite simply... You reap what you sow, and no one, I, I wish people would listen. I just, I wish, just hope and pray people listen. No one is exempted, nobody. The state lawmaker was merely reaping the effects of the law that he had sown into our state laws. To be certain tonight, nature is full of spiritual instruction in all of its subdivisions and departments, if we could only observe it and learn from it. For all we know, it may be as much the purpose and design of God to teach us by the objects and operations of nature as it is the object and design of God to teach us by the furniture and all the preparations of the Old Testament tabernacle law of Moses in the middle of the wilderness. The universe is under the control of unbreakable laws. As scientists and other learned men throughout history have recognized that the universe is under the control of unbreakable laws. Everybody said amen. The physical sciences are in essence the study of those physical laws. And apart from the consistent operation of absolute laws, science as we know it could not exist. And one evidence of the Bible's divine authorship is that insofar as it touches on science, the Bible has always been extremely accurate. Although it was written several millennia before most of the scientific truths it touches on were humanly discovered, only the being who made the universe could have given information to the human writers of Scripture that was unerringly consistent with every proven law and fact of science. The eminent ge geologist James Dwight Dale told a graduating class at Yale University, as you face scientific problems, remember that there is nothing truer in the universe than scientific statements in the Word of God. The sacred writings of Hindus and Buddhists and other pagan religions reflect and even teach the most bizarre ideas about the nature and operation of the universe that science could never have originated out of such religions because they have no concept of divine design, order, and operation. So without exception, their cosmologies, if you will, are built on blind chance or the capricious or fickle whims of man-like deities. The, the idea of a divinely ordered universe regulated by absolute laws 
is completely foreign to their most basic beliefs. The Bible, on the other hand, not only is accurate when it re relates physical facts, but clearly teaches that the universe is orderly and dependable, and not by accident or chance, but by the sovereign design and power of God, its creator. God stretches out the north over the empty place and hangs the earth upon nothing, Job declared. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, and the cloud does not burst under them. He has described or inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness, according to Job 26, 7, 8, and 10. Long before the voyages of Columbus and other adventurers proving that the earth was round, Isaiah wrote, It is he who sits on the vault of the earth, Isaiah 40, 22. The word, the Hebrew word translated vault literally refers to a circle and is so translated in many versions it can also mean sphere or a ball. Yet the idea of the earth being, of the earth being round, much less spherical and suspended in space, was unknown to the ancient world. Ancient world. It is grossly inconsistent for philosophers to argue that there are no moral absolutes when everything physical that can be observed and measured is clearly and undeniably regulated by absolute and unbreakable laws, apart from which even the smallest organism or subsystem in our vast and intricate universe could not operate without these absolute laws. Everybody say absolute laws. Even the ancient Greeks recognized that there was a standard of right and wrong, a basic kind of moral sowing and weeping, uh, reaping. According to their mythology, the goddess Nemesis sought out and punished every person who became inornately proud and arrogant. No matter how much they might seek to evade her, she would always find her victim, victims and executed her sentence. I'm talking tonight about the law of recompense. The Bible elucidates absolute moral law frequently. For example, God had granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar. But because of the king's arrogant pride, the Lord disposed him from the throne and made him become a wild animal that ate grass. Yet you, his son... Daniel declared before Belshazzar during the great banquet in Babylon, you've not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven and have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which you do not see here which they do not see, nor hear, nor understand. But the God in whose hand are your life, breath, and your ways, you have not glorified, Belshazzar. And so that is why the hand, the handwriting on the wall, that is why the hand was sent from him, God, and this inscription was written out. The prophet went on to explain to him an inscription whose interpretation was, God has numbered your kingdom and have put and has put an end to it and you've been weighed on the scales and found deficient your kingdom has been divided and has been given over to the Medes and to the Persians you can find the story in Daniel chapter 5 our modern world believe it or not has its own Belshazzars Ernest Hemingway became famous for snubbing his nose at morality and at God declaring that his own life proved a person could do anything he wanted without having to pay any consequences. Like many others before and after him, he considered the ideas of the Bible to be antiquated and outdated, completely useless to modern man and a hindrance to his pleasure and self-fulfillment. Moral laws to him were a religious superstition and had no relevance. Notice the screen. In mocking parody of the Lord's Prayer, Hemingway wrote, Our Nada, 
Spanish for nothing, who art in nada. But instead of proving the impunity of infidelity, the end of Hemingway life proved the folly of mocking God. His depraved and decadent life led him into such complete despair and hopelessness that he put a bullet in his own head. Other famous authors such as Sinclair Lewis and Oscar Wilde who openly attacked the divine moral standard and thumbed their noses up at God mocking his word and his law were nonetheless subject to that law. Lewis died a pathetic alcoholic in a third-rate clinic in Italy and Wilde ended up in prison and imprisoned homosexual in shame and disgrace. Neither the end of, of his life Near the end of his life, Wilde wrote, I forgot somewhere along the line that what you are in secret will someday cry aloud from the housetop. Until the last days, there will, be, there will continue to be mockers following after their own ungodly lust, according to Jude 18. But their end is destruction, the Bible said, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, according to Philippians 3.19. We must never forget the truth in the words penned so long ago, at which have been often quoted through the annals of time. The meals of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly small. Though with patience He stands waiting, with exactness grinds He all. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. In every dimension, including the moral and spiritual law, the universe is structured on inescapable laws, and we've made that clear. In Galatians 6, 7 through 10, Paul uses a well-known law of botany that a given seed can produce only after its kind. In other words, if you plant a seed of corn, you're not going to grow watermelon. So the Bible is very clear through the law of botany. Fruit trees, vegetables, and so on. You reap what you sow. So if you sow corn, you will reap corn. This is, this is a physical law that God has established in the Word of God that cannot be broken. And those physical laws that we understand with, with planting and reaping, you understand with gravity... You understand with light and darkness, all of those laws cannot be changed. Neither can the laws of the Word of God be changed. You can't change them. So when the Bible said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever so men soweth, that shall he also reap. That can't change with anybody for any reason. It can't. So Paul has completed the presentation of his main theses that legalism in particular, the legalism of the Judaizers has no part either in receiving or in, in living the Christian life. And after giving instruction for spiritual believers to restore their sinning brothers who have fallen to the flesh, he now admonishes any of the fallen brethren who might presume upon God's grace and resent being rebuked and to offer help. Be not deceived, Paul warned. God is not mocked. The word deceived here comes from a Greek word that has the primary meaning of leading astray. He is telling the, the reader, everybody listen. There's a great crowd here tonight. Wonderful, wonderful group of people here tonight. He's telling you that when you read this, don't be misled. Do not be misled because you cannot mock the justice of of God. It's a new living test, the new international translation. When believers fail, when believers fail to acknowledge the reality or seriousness of sin in their lives, their hearts are deceived. And as a result of their deception, that's where God is mocked. It's not standing here at God and making fun of God and saying all kinds of nasty things about God. That's not the context of the scripture. I want to read that again. When believers fail to acknowledge the reality or seriousness of sin in their lives, their hearts are deceived, 
And that's when God is mocked. I asked you to pray last night, for those of you at prayer meeting, that God would help us tonight in this presentation, and now maybe you're beginning to understand why. It's a hard message. It is. I'm not trying to present it harder than what it is. I can't present it harder than what it is. But there's people here tonight that need to understand. You don't have a, a legitimate, valid excuse or reason for not serving God with all your heart. You don't have one. You don't. Had a conversation with somebody recently about that. But the second consequence is by far the worst. Because it amounts to treating the Lord with contempt. Because the Greek word for mock literally means to turn up one's nose and therefore to scorn or sneer. So notice the screen. For a believer to sin willfully in any way and to any degree is to deny his Lord. But to sin while thinking he is somehow immune from God's standard of holiness is to mock the Lord and to mimic the world. I didn't write this. Paul wrote most of this in the New Testament. I'm just relaying to you what he wrote. And you say, well, that was 2,000 years ago. It hasn't changed any different than gravity has changed or that the law of light and darkness has changed or that the earth orbiting 24 hours, that hasn't changed. That going around the moon hasn't changed. None of that has changed. Neither has this. And it's an inescapable law. So in Galatians again, in Galatians 6, 7 through 10, Paul drives home the point that even believers, even believers can become guilty of mocking God and that being saved does not exempt them from the inevitable and inescapable consequences of his law of sowing and reaping. So after stating and explaining this divine law, Paul then shows how it is spiritually fulfilled and applied. Notice this. Everybody listen. Fixing to get a little better. One could title this study the law of retribution. As you consider the true content and context of Paul's writing. But I chose tonight to call it the law of recompense. And here's the reason. And it's found in the definitions of each word. Notice this. Notice the screen. You see, retribution means punishment that is considered to be morally right and fully deserved. Recompense, on the other hand, means to punish or reward someone appropriately for an action they've done so one is punishment only while the other could either uh, could be either punishment or reward whichever is appropriate for a given action so it would certainly be a surprise if you planted corn and pumpkins came up it's a natural law to harvest what we plant am i making any sense here tonight i hope so so it's natural to harvest what we plant. Tommy Goins used to be a farmer years ago. And I've, 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 I've talked to him years ago about it, and, and sometimes in even detail. And it, it, the, the profession interested me then and still does now, especially their equipment and their expertise and all that stuff. But I never heard him say, you know, one year we planted soybeans. I don't know how it happened, but we, we had a great harvest of corn that year. It, it just really amazed me that that happened that way. Have you all ever heard any such story? Anybody? Nobody? Isn't that amazing? Boy, it's simple, but so profound. Wouldn't it be disappointed, disappointing if all of your equipment, Brother Tommy, was geared to, to, to harvest soybean and you planted soybean, but all these corn stalks or sugar cane started shooting up out of the ground? I can't harvest that stuff. I don't have the equipment to do it. But he knew with confidence as a farmer that whatever I put in the ground, is what I'm going to reap. Why do we think in our natural life that we're living here on this planet that things are going to be different than that? Why do we think that? I don't know why we think that, but we often do. Um, it's the natural law to harvest what we plant, and it's, it's true in all facets of our lives. For example, if you gossip really terrible about your friends, guess what? You're going to lose your friends. Isn't that amazing? And you can say all you want to all day long. Well, I didn't mean to. I, I didn't mean everything. It doesn't matter. You sowed that, and now 
you'll reap the consequence of that. Um, there was a, a, a scientist that, that we all know very well that established that every action has results. His name is it's, it's, it's Newton, and it's his law of motion that states that for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. So if you plant to please your own desires, then you'll harvest a crop of sorrow and evil. However, if you plant to please God, you'll harvest joy and everlasting life. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? So I wonder today what kind of seeds are we planting? What kind of seeds are you planting? So we're going to talk about the law of recompense. One poet made this observation, and it is so, it fits right here. The deeds we do, the words we say, into still air they seem to fleet. We count them ever past, but they shall last, and the dread judgment they and we shall meet. Having defined this law of recompense, the Apostle Paul goes on to show it operating in two great realms. And I just read this in Galatians 6, that you, you reap what you sow, one in the flesh and another in the spirit. Uh, he, he shows it operates in two great realms. We've given attention to the law as it relates to the flesh. When we sow to the flesh, we bring a harvest of destruction into our life. We see this all over in our culture today. Families are torn apart. Morals are torn apart. People have no discipline. They have no respect. They have no regard. We, we see this everywhere, but we don't think of it as things that we have sowed as a society, and now we are reaping it. People have talked for years about the absence of dads in homes. Well, we've reaping, we're reaping those generations of people now, and now they're grown and adult and married and all that, and they still keep producing babies, and they're not at home either because their dad wasn't home. You reap what you sow. I had a conversation with somebody just recently. Alcohol runs deep in families. Why'd y'all get so quiet all of a sudden? Did I say something inappropriate or y'all just listening? How many families do you know that, you know, great-grandpa was, was an alcoholic and voila, his son is or his daughter is and then their kids are and then their kids are. And look how alcohol ruins and destroys families. Why don't we understand that? That it's not a healthy thing to do, but people seemingly can't help themselves. <clears throat> but you reap, you reap what you sow and, and, and sooner or later somebody has to break the cycle of these things. Your harvest, if you are a believer and you sow resources and you invest your life to please the Spirit of God, you will have a far different harvest. That harvest will reap eternal life. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, now, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who wouldn't want eternal life? I do. It may take a little discipline, and I may not be able to have my way in this world, but I'll trade that for eternal life in a heartbeat. So to sow to the Spirit, look at the screen. To sow to the Spirit means to live with a view to developing our highest faculties. A life that sows to the Spirit of God is a life that is God-initiated, God-controlled, God-directed, and God-filled. Who wouldn't want that? I talked to you about this last Wednesday night. You, know, the, you do you, some, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. Who wouldn't want what God wants to increase you with? God can increase me far better than I can increase me. Amen. So we do this by spending time and money on things that are eternal. And the harvest of such a life of sowing to the Spirit is life everlasting. That's the harvest. That's what you reap is everlasting life when you sow the Spirit of God. Life is the greatest promise 
of the New Testament. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world and gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you sow into God, what you reap out of God is everlasting life. But if you don't sow into God, you're not going to reap that. Goodness doesn't die. Good is by its nature everlasting. Evil by its nature is not everlasting. Evil dies out, but good continues to live. We've seen that. Read your history book. We've seen it over and over. When a spiritual life of love and righteousness begins in a man, it expels the evil day by day. And it multiplies to infinity. In other words, there's no limit to the benefits of sowing to the Spirit, of sowing to the kingdom of God. These things are eternal. They will live forever. Wherever there is a sowing to the Spirit in the fields of time, there is assured the reaping of a harvest in the fields of eternity. But while the harvest of everlasting life has a special reference to immortality. We must not limit it to the hereafter. That's the beauty of serving God. Not only do you sow into God's field, you reap everlasting life, but you, you reap great things here. It's kind of a double bonus. The life that Jesus bestows on the man who is sowing the good seed is enjoyed even here and now. A life of sowing to the Spirit is rewarded with manifold blessings here on this earth. For one thing, we are, giving, we are given peace that passes all understanding. We are blessed, the Bible said, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The psalmist said in Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation loads us with benefits time is a sowing place for the harvest of eternity let me stop right here for a second and say this people that are born and raised in church you get accustomed to church culture you get accustomed to the kingdom of God and all that kind of stuff sometimes you lose sight of the blessing you have to zoom out once in a while let me ask you tonight where would you be right now if you were not in church where would your marriage be if you weren't in church where would your kids be you know, we can't lose sight of God loading us with benefits. Loading us with benefits. So how earnest then should be our use of time, knowing that it holds within it issues that are so vast. A great artist was once asked why he spent so much time over mere minuscule details in his picture. He said, because... I paint for eternity. If a man is willing to be so tedious with something that can bring only earthly immortality, how much more should we work for a crown incorruptible and undefiled? We must put all the labor we can into our sowing down here, assured that if there may be sometimes, it may seem but little immediate return, the promise is, he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So in conclusion tonight, as Paul brought this letter to a close, he was inspired by the Spirit to provide us with a, a well-rounded picture of healthy spiritual living. Living by the Spirit is not an individualistic achievement. Nor does individual participation get lost by making every action a shared responsibility. Life in the Spirit involves a continual ebb and flow of receiving and giving. Those who practice the ministry of restoration today, those who practice the ministry of restoration today, may themselves require restoration tomorrow. Those who have their burdens lifted today may be called on to lift another's burdens in the days to come. 
the very one to whom you show mercy may be the one, the only one, who in turn will show you mercy if and when you should ever need it. The beauty of sowing into the kingdom. So therefore, our sweet brothers and sisters here today, in obedient and growing relationship with God, discover wonderful support from one another along the way. I don't know where I would be right now without the church. I just don't know where. Somebody just said the other day, just a couple of days ago, I wish I remember who it was. Maybe Sister Murph can jog my memory. But they said, people just don't understand the support group you have, the fellowship you have with being in a church. I know people have said through the years, well, I didn't fit into that church, and I didn't fit into that church. Sometimes you have to do a little work yourself. It just don't come to you served up on a platter. If you arrive late and leave early, it's kind of hard for people to shake your hand. You know what I mean? And I, I've never seen, I've, I've yet to see in, in any church that I've ever visited or pastored that a well-meaning saint came up to someone they hadn't seen in a long time or, or a brand-new guest or whatever offered to shake their hand, and the person just said, get out of here. I don't want to shake your hand. I don't want to talk to you. You're stupid. I've never seen that happen. All my life, I've seen guests in a church, people that have been there a long time coming to the church, and people shake their hand. Now, they may not run up to you and just tear down the chairs and, you know, turn over chairs and all that stuff to get to you or whatever, but they'll get to you, and they're glad to see you. They are. And I've heard people judge, well, somebody shook my hand, but they didn't mean it. How do you know? Are you in their head now? You a mind reader? You have ESPN now? That you can judge all this stuff with people? You don't know when people are serious or not. I know it's not ESPN, but you get the joke here. So the biblical picture of all of this proves true. Christians... Christian people, the church, the people that are here tonight, in some way, form, or fashion, are parts of the body of Christ. We are. Paul said that. We're fitly framed together. Everybody can't be the head. A lot of people don't want to be the feet either. There's other parts of the anatomy I can refer to tonight. And sometimes you see parts of the anatomy. It'd be better if you didn't. That's as far as I'll go with it. And sometimes you can walk up to the a child of God to walk up to you and you walk up to them and they may be the backside of God. Moses saw it. I'm not trying to be inappropriate here tonight. But somebody has to be that part of the body. That's what the Bible said. So don't be so quick to judge. At least somebody acknowledge that you were there whether you liked the way they did it or not. That's the point. But everybody here tonight has a part. You are a part of the body of Christ. You know, I've been in ministry now for, what, 40 years? 40 years. And uh, pastored here going into our 29th year in just a couple of months. And... Uh, Started a church in Youngstown, Ohio, as you know, was there for six years, so what does that add up to? 20, 28, 29 years plus six, 35 years of pastoring. And uh, I've looked at my own ministry, and I've never been a conference speaker. I've never been asked to preach a general conference. never been asked to preach a camp meeting. I've never been behind, behind the pulpit at our campground, not one time, in 28 years of pastoring in this district. But that, does not, that is not what validates who I am. God called me to labor in a vineyard, and I have labored there. And I do it with all my might. And it gives me such fulfillment to know that I'm just a part of the body, that God uses me. Sometimes to be his hands, his mouth, his feet, whatever it is. Whatever capacity he wants me to serve in, I'll do it. I've tried to prove that through the years. I'm willing to do whatever God asks me to do. It's just a privilege to be a part of the kingdom. And here on earth, I've sown into the kingdom of God for years. I've done it to the best of my ability. 
conquering God. But I am believing tonight with all of my might that not only am I sowing into the kingdom of God here, I'm sowing into the kingdom of God there. And that's what's really cool. You get to sow into two different places. When you sin and do not serve God the way you can or the way God wants you to, you're storing up treasure for yourself and hell. I've heard it said through the years, and there's a content to this that I believe, that hell's going hell's to be hot for so-and-so. Uh, I've heard that said all of my life, that somebody's a horrible, horrible creep, a horrible, horrible person, whatever, Hitler, for example, whatever. Uh, hell's going to be hot for people like that. There's a huge part of me that says, I agree. But even if you've only done a little, it's still going to be a miserable place to live. It's going to be hot for everybody. Maybe a little hotter for others. But the temperature of the fire being five degrees lower for you than someone else ain't going to make a whole lot of difference. Can't prove that scripturally, but I believe there is some content to that. So tonight, understand the law of recompense. There's laws in motion that God has set in motion that will never change, and they apply to to say Galatians chapter 6 doesn't apply to me is like you to stand on top of this building and say gravity don't apply to me and I'm going to jump. If you do that and survive, let me know how that went. You can't defy the laws of the Bible. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. Great, great, wonderful here tonight. I appreciate so much you being here. God is moving in our church and I'm so thankful for it. And uh, so God bless you tonight. Take this to heart. Take it home with you. And uh, put your head around it and embrace it. Embrace it. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed in the wonderful name of Jesus.